Now, we've been, we've been stuck in that, that text there for a couple of weeks. And really, what we looked at last week, we, we defined out the world. We defined worldliness and what it is. So quickly, I'm just going to go on a quick review. And then we're going to get into basically verse 16 and, and look and see how Satan, who is the head of this world system, how he tries to get you and I basically to become worldly, to, to lose our effectiveness in our Christian life, and, and to, to basically, the Bible says two things. It says that when you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. And when you not have the love of the Father in you, you cannot do the will of the Father that, that has called you and saved you. And so what does John do here? In, in 1 John chapter 1 and 2, he basically tells us how we can know that we are following God, that we're following Christ. Coming to church doesn't mean you follow God. You know, b- b- taking your Bible, passing out, try, not, that doesn't necessarily mean that you are following God. People can do things and just do them. People can act very religious on the outside and still not really be following the Lord. So what does John say about following the Lord? Ultimately, there are two significant factors that, that John states in this, gospel, in this letter that shows us if we're following the Lord. Let's look at them. Verses 5 through 7. I'll just kind of paraphrase and speed through it a little bit. Basically, John says in 1 John, he says, look, this is the message which we have heard from him And we're going to now declare it to you. And here's the message. God is light. In Him is absolutely no darkness at all. If you as a Christian say that you are in fellowship with Him, Christian, and walk in darkness, you are lying and you're not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, that is fellowship with Him. The Bible says we are in fellowship with each other. And it's not talking about human Christian fellowship in that verse. It's talking about fellowship between man and God. If you walk in the light in His truth, you are in fellowship with Him. You are walking in the truth of God. I heard an interesting comment about what it means to walk in the truth of God. And we spent a couple of weeks really digging that out in the Scripture. But... This, this comment, I think really in a nutshell, hits it. Walking in the truth of God means simply you're relinquishing your sin and following Jesus. And you know what? That's a constant thing that we have to do. We ought to be being refined. Refined by His Word, refined by His Spirit. To walk in His truth is just not an intellectual understanding and an acknowledgement and an acceptance of things in the Scripture. You know, cults can take the AV and give you information. But that truth hasn't changed them. They're not walking in the truth of God. Anybody ever hear of a fellow by the name of Kenneth Hagin? You all know Kenneth? Well, you don't know him, but um, Kenneth Hagin, in my opinion, might be one of the most heretical, godless, false teachers I have ever had the displeasure of watching on YouTube. I watched a sermon about 34 minutes 
of a sermon. And all he did was walk around this massive, I had thousands of people in their church building, smacking people in the head, watching them fall to the ground, uh, look, walking up to them and start laughing. And they'd start laughing. Some of them start convulsing. You wouldn't have watched it. Some of them start convulsing and stuff. And all he says, praise God, that's the Spirit. And all I thought right there, look at all those thousands and thousands of people who probably end up hell in hell because they're not hearing the truth of the gospel. And yet sitting right in front of them is the Word of God. And he's butchering it. And, he, and, and he's telling people <laughs> the greatest of all lies. And, and, and I read something about him today. And the article said, you know, Kenneth, Kenneth Hagin went to be with the Lord. And I thought, probably not. I can't judge him. But I can judge what he teaches. And what he teaches is not the gospel. You know, the Bible says that we're to walk in the light. That shows, if, that shows us about being a believer. And, and not only walking in the truth, but you know what? Walking in the truth, that truth comes out of our life. And we're not perfect, and we will sin, and we'll sin until we see Jesus. But, and that's why John puts in the gospel, well, you know, I've written this so you don't sin, but when you do sin, you've got Jesus. He's your advocate. Remember what he did for you? He's your propitiation. He's the atonement for your sins. Just go and confess that to him. And he's taking care of it. And, and so we have that advocate when we sin. And I thank the Lord for that. But here's what John is saying. A Christian is one who walks in his truth. But you know what else? Remember we spent a lot of time on this one? A Christian who's, is one who loves God's people. And you know what? I've been amazed about how much in the Bible there is about Christians loving one another. Not a whole lot about Christians having to love the lost. It seems to me that we do that quite well. It's just loving us e each other as believers. That's the hard part. You ever notice that? All the, the Word of God is full of, hey, what, you know what he says? Hey, you really want to know if you're mine or not? If you love the brethren. And it doesn't say if you love the lost. It says if you love the brethren. John says here there's two things. It really shows if you are a Christian or not. So don't just tell me you are. Show me you are by walking in the truth and loving God's people. Loving humanity. And the interesting thing about 1 John 2 verses 9 and 10, that when he uses the word love, he uses the word agapeo. That's God's love, man. That, that's not the phileo. That's just not the, the, the other two types of love. That is the God love that is supposed to be rendered in our heart through the Holy Spirit. And so in our text, John is warning these people who are walking in the light, who are loving God's people, he's warning them about something very serious. And I want you to listen up, because half the church is my family, the other half of the church is my family by Jesus. Okay? So here this is something very, very important. John is warning you and I about something very serious. Let's look at it. Look at verses 12 and 14. Before we get to what he's warning you, I want to tell you he's talking to you and me. He's not talking to Christians who are away from the Lord. He's warning you so that you don't become that. He's not talking to, to people who, who have walked away from the church and aren't coming back. 
He's talking to the deacons and the Sunday school teachers and the pastors in the pulpit and the pastor's wives and the pastor's children. And he's talking to those who have been a Christian for a long time. And he's talking to those who have just got saved and are, are experiencing the joy and the the, the wowness of first coming to Christ. He's talking to those people who knows God's word. He's talking to people. He's warning these people who knows God's word and are strong in the Lord and in the word. Look, he says, I write to you, and I'm going to skip out some words so that you can hear it differently. I write to you because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. I'm writing to you because you've known him who's from the beginning. I'm writing to you because you've overcome the wicked one. I'm writing to you because you know the Father. I'm writing to you because you, you, the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Listen to, to it. He's writing to the saved. He's writing to the mature in faith. He's writing to those who have had victories and victoriousness in their Christian life because of Christ. And he's writing to those who are strong in their faith, who are strong in the knowledge of God's Word. And you know what he's writing to you? He's writing to you a warning so that you don't veer off from that. He warns them, be strong in faith people, because at our strongest times, we forget why we are strong. You think about that. You know the scariest time in my spiritual life is when nothing's going wrong. Not because I'm worried about everything going wrong. That's when I don't really depend on the Lord. You know, I heard a really bad sermon recently on Mark chapter 6. Guy was preaching about Jesus walking on the water. And he said that the reason the disciples were in the boat is because they were the best of the best Christians that you could find. Yeah. The reason the disciples were in the boat is because they were the A-team of God's people. And this preacher actually said this. The reason that they were in the boat and they were in the storm because God puts his best people in the storm. You know what the best people mean. The people with the suits and the ties and the tracks in the pocket and, and all of that stuff. And they're in the boat. But then I read Mark 6 and, I, and it says at the bottom of Mark 6 that Jesus put them in the storm because their hearts were hardened to what they saw when Jesus fed the 5,000. But there's something interesting about what that preacher said uh, about um, this story about Jesus walking on the water and stuff. And it just flipped my mind. And what was I going to tell you? It'll come back to me. Ah, Peter. Peter. Peter was able to walk on the storm when he kept his eyes on Jesus. But when his eyes came off Jesus and he got afraid, he sank. Do you know what? It's in the storm my eyes are on Jesus. It's when the water's flat, my eyes get on me. And this is what John is trying to say to us tonight. See, when you are sometimes at your strongest, we forget why we are strong. It's our dependence on Christ. Do you know something about these Christians I just talked to you about? Their temptations were not done. Because they were strong in the Lord, because they were strong in the Word, because they've seen victories through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit working in their lives, 
They've done all that. Their temptations were not done. And if you and I think our temptations are done, we are seriously mistaken because they are not done. They're probably not done today. They're probably not done for tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. And we live in a world that temptations are all around us. And I don't just mean the visual temptations, but the temptations of heart, the temptations in our mind, the temptations that, that Satan knows so well that he's been using so many thousands of years. Like my old preacher used to say, he goes around your life and he tries to flick up loose tiles in your life. That's why we really need to work at keeping things tight in our life scripturally. So, what does he tell us? He's warning these Christians about something. What's he warning them about? Look at verse 15. Verse 15 says, do not love the world. Or the things that are in the world. Because if anybody loves the world, has that love of this world system being the fancy of their life, they do not have the love of the Father that is in him. What is John warning them about? He's warning them about having eyes for this world that are more than having eyes for their Savior Jesus Christ. He's warning them about having agape love for this world and what it provides. Not necessarily, you know, the world as a earthly thing. It means the world as a system that's against God. And I'm going to read my definition to you in a minute. It says, do not love the world. What is the world? It is the values, beliefs, and morals of those people who constitute this world system that are in distinction or rebellion to God. It is that system under Satan which operates through unbelieving people who are opposed to God. And I know the folks out that are lost and they're not, they don't know the Lord outside the church, they will hear that def definition and think we are wackos. But the world is not ice cream and, and cars and, and the beautiful things that we enjoy of this world. That's not what he's talking about. When he says the world, he's talking about this system that is dominated by the people that follow Satan. And, and whether they know they're following him or not, that is this world system. It's upside down and it is completely opposed to God. It is mankind, or, mankind organized in rebellion to God. Everything that is going on today in our world is opposed to God. The laws, many of them that are being passed, are changing things that we have held dear all of, all of Christian history. And probably even in some ways before that. And they're changing it. And I've said to you many, many times, nowadays what used to be called wrong, if not sin, now it's called Something that we can rejoice over, enjoy over, and celebrate. But yet it never changed in God's word. Who's changed that? The Christian hasn't changed it. The world system controlled by those who hold God and hold rebellion toward God. They're the ones who have changed it. But you know what the saddest part of all that is? That system those people, that philosophy is now coming into the 
Christianity and into the church, and the church is buying it. And the church is buying it because Christians are buying it. And you know what John is warning you? John is warning you and I that we do not become like that. That we don't love that system. We don't love that world of rebellion that is towards God. And the Christian says, come on, pastor, you've lost your mind. No Christian is going to love that kind of world system that opposes their Savior. Then here's my question. Why does John put it in the Bible? And John only put it in the Bible because the Holy Spirit, Jesus, had him put it in the Bible. Do you know why? Because Christians are that, and I'll get to this in a moment. Christians are in danger of going over to the dark side. They're in danger of being pulled into this world's system. And when you do that, the Bible calls it, that's the love of the world. It's not the love of jeans and t-shirts. It's not the love of, of you know, motorbikes and cars necessarily. It could be, but that's not necessarily what he's talking about. What he's talking about is that you've, you've changed in your thinking. You've changed in your heart's direction. And you've taken into your thinking and living and understanding and passions and fancy, this world's philosophies, morals, values, directions, and cues. I know I uh, have a good friend that's within the last decade, he and I agreed pretty well solidly biblically. To open the Bible, we'd agree sin is sin and truth is truth and God is this and so be it. Over the last few years, I've watched him completely change. You probably know who I'm talking about. His philosophy has become liberal, not just politically, but morally and scripturally. And he's pulled away from, from Christ. And now I never hear him say anything about Christianity and God and holiness and scripture. But it's all about, you know ripping apart the evangelical Christians because 200 years ago we killed some Indians or, or did that, this or that. I'm not for that. I'm against that. But that's not what Christianity is. And I've watched his philosophy change. Do you know what's happened? He's become worldly. And John is warning God's people from becoming worldly. And we would define the definition of worldliness as this, and I've got several of them, and I'm probably going to stop halfway through and we'll finish next week because I don't want to keep you very long tonight. So we'll stop at our normal time that we're supposed to stop at, not my time that I normally stop at. You're blessed tonight because you get the shorter version of it. Here's, let me tell you about worldliness. A predominant passion for obtaining the good things of this life Covetousness, addictedness to gain, and temporal enjoyments. Did you hear that? It's not naming specific things. It's naming the attitude of the heart. You know, worldliness is more of the heart than it is action. The action one can sometimes see the heart, but it is the heart that, that becomes worldly, and therefore it shows itself in the things that we do. Let me give you some better definition that I think really what worldliness is. It is anything that keeps me from enjoying God's love and wanting to do God's will. That is worldly, and we better avoid it. 
See, we think worldliness is a drum kit in the church or trousers on women or, or, or a non-white shirt on a preacher. We think worldliness is when a pastor spikes his hair up a little bit or doesn't comb it over to the right side. And I know that I'm being a little cheeky with that, but that's what we think worldliness is. And what I think we, we find from the Bible is worldliness is the desires of the heart to satisfy self. And I'll show you what I mean. Worldliness is not simply the clothes we wear or the music we listen to, but it can be. It absolutely certainly can be. But it is the attitude we have to how the world works. Accepting it and then incorporating it into how we live. And I'll be point blank, and, and, I, and I'm sorry to always harp on this, but it is the big one in the world. Steve Chalk, who does Oasis Church down in the city, he is the big propagandist. I don't know what the word is. He is the big voice of telling the church today that we have gotten it wrong for 2,000 years about immorality, homosexuality, and transgender issues. He says the Bible wholly takes it in and God loves those people. And I agree, God loves all sinners. He calls homosexuality an abomination, but guess what else he calls an abomination? Lying. They're both an abomination, and God loves the sinners of both. But you know what? You and I can't get into the philosophy of the world where the world says, whatever you want to do is fine with me. You know, God, how can God, you know, care who you love? That's the philosophy of the world. Now it's going into the church, and now the church is helping to propagate it within the church. And Jesus says, you not you ought not to go that way. That's worldliness. Thinking and living in the philosophy of this unsaved world that is in opposition to God. Now, you remember what John's doing, and, and, and he's very passionate, I think, in the way he's talking to, to people that he, in essence, is pastoring. So I'm talking to you solid believers. I'm talking to you people who love the Savior. I'm talking to you people that are serving Jesus don't go that way. Don't love the world. That's worldliness. And there's two reasons why we ought not to love the world. And I'll be quick. Number one, because when we love the world, the love of the Father gets quenched out. And the love of the Father then therefore cannot be working in us to, to do His will and to follow Him and do those things. You say, that can't happen to a Christian. I see it. I've seen it. A lot where people love the Lord, but then they start get tempted, starting they get tempted by the worldliness of this world and their philosophy changes, and they go from wanting to sacrifice for their Lord, like Romans 12, 2, 12, 1 and 2, either be a Romans 12, 1 and 2. You help me out with it? You all do it sometimes. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, what? A living sacrifice. And that's what we're to be. A living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is, which is our reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Knocking out the rubbish, putting in the good stuff. That's the renewing of your mind. That comes through Scripture. 
Why? So we don't become worldly. Man, I like a fellow by the name of Glenn Kaiser. None of you have probably ever heard about him. Glenn Kaiser was a fellow that came up in the, J, 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 uh, the Jesus People movement. And I don't know a whole lot about the Jesus People movement, but they like the blues guitar. That's what I know about. Glenn Kaiser is a guitarist and a harmonica player. And you look at him, he's kind of large, uh, he's fat, and he's got a long ponytail that he, he scrolls up behind his head and a big old massive beard down to about here, which I'm wholly jealous of. I can't grow it any further than this because my beloved over there and the fact that my beard won't grow that far. But you know what? I've looked at his life. I've listened to what he said. And I cannot see a more spirit-filled, God-loving, people-loving person than Glenn Kaiser. But a lot of my preacher friends would look at him and say, he's worldly. And I look at him, if I close my eyes and I don't look at his scraggly beard or his long ponytail, all I see is Jesus. And I just, I just wonder to myself, what would I rather be? Would I rather be a guy who maybe looks one way on the outside but is a Pharisee on the inside and with a worldly view? Or would I rather be look a little scraggly and a guy who loves Christ? You know what he does, him and his wife? They play music, they make records, and make, have made a lot of money. They take all that money, and they use it to feed the poor, to give the poor dental care, to give pregnant women that have babies instead of abortions care to have birth and help them find a home or help them take care of the baby. They give all their stuff away. They bought a warehouse. They pe- built apartments in the warehouse. They live in one up top floor, and they put homeless people on the other floors. Isn't that what Jesus said we ought to do? I just wonder if we got a weird view of worldliness sometimes. We're, you know, we always want to see the, the, the weeds of worldliness, but what we forget is it came from a root of worldliness first. Why ought we not be worldly? Number one, we get the love of the Father is not in us. Number two, this world is, is losing steam, folks. It's fading away. Do you know what it's doing? It's dying. It'd be like getting on the Titanic. Cam, you go into Ireland, man. You go over there, you get on the ship. They built it over there, I think. You get on that ship. But here, but here it's something different. Cam, when they get out in the middle of the weather, they're going to hit an iceberg, and it's going to sink. And you might not get a lifeboat, and you might die. But you can have passage on that Titanic. Do you know what it is for a Christian to love the things of the world? It's getting on the Titanic. You know it's sinking, man. You know it's going to be destroyed. But you get it on anyway because Cam can't get over the fact that there's beautiful chandeliers in that ship and all that free buffet food. Because that's the temptations of the world that get you on that ship. And the temptations of this world get us to be drawn into worldliness. What's worldliness? It's that thing in the heart that makes you love that world more than you love Jesus. And that's why John said, you ought not to love the world. So, how does a Christian become worldly? And here's where I'm going to stop in a moment and tell you I'll define it out further next week. But just let me say a couple of thoughts. How, How does a Christian become worldly? Does he just wake up one day and say, right, 
I'm just going to become a little bit worldly today. I'm just going to not love God as much as I loved him yesterday, and then I'm just going to enjoy the world today. Uh Uh-uh. John understood something. John understood that we, as God's people, are under attack. And you know what? He can't take you to hell. He can't remove your salvation. And I honestly believe the greatest thing Satan does is he destroys our testimonies. Does a Christian simply make the decision one day and say, right, I'm going to be worldly now? No. There is a battle over God's people and we are given the tactics by which Satan mounts this war against us. Look at verse 16. The Bible says, for all that is in this old world, Everything that this world system contains. These, he, go, he lists three things. These are the three ways in which Satan tries to get us to become worldly. Number one, lust of the flesh. Number two, lust of the eyes. Number three, the pride of life. The Word of God says all this is in the world, but it is not of the Father. That's not what God has for us. The lust of the flesh and the eyes and the pride of life. That is of the world. It is not from God. It doesn't belong to God. It is not to be a part of our Christian life. John warns us against it that we are to not love. And you remember what the word love means? It doesn't mean like, oh, like I love steak. It it is the word fancy means I have a fancy, I have a draw, I have a longing toward that. And John says we are not to have a fancy for how this world thinks, how this world goes after what it goes after to satisfy what it wants to satisfy. We are not to be worldly minded or worldly living because of our worldly mind. In a real sense, this is explaining the methodology of our enemy. John is warning us of how Satan will come after you and I, wanting us to become worldly. He he wants us not to love God as we should. So, what does he do? He puts things in this world to draw God's people away from God. And it's not necessarily a lot of the things that we as independent, fundamental, evangelical, Christian, Baptist believers in Christ think is worldly. Do you know what he really wants you to do? He wants you to think about yourself more than God. He wants you to live for yourself more than others. He wants you to strive to satisfy yourself more than you satisfy anything else. And when you look at the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, do you know what really they all three are? They are descriptions of how the lost and worldly people satisfy themselves apart from God. But it'll take me a good 30 minutes to get through it, so we'll take this up next week. 
So here's, here's really the thought that we need to leave out of here tonight. There's a danger as you, there's a danger for you and I as a Christian to become worldly thinking and worldly living. There's a danger for us to love the things of this world and really, in essence, love ourselves more than we love God. It can be, it can come out in things like, I want a husband or a wife so bad that that becomes my fancy. That becomes the thing that I love and the thing that I live for. And now I'm no longer living to serve God. I'm living to serve that fancy of trying to satisfy in my longing the longing for a spouse. You see, now we've become worldly. And Satan will do it through that desire of the flesh person that we are, the desire of things that we see, and the pride and arrogance of life that we have. And we'll go deeper next week. But the warning is, don't go in that direction. You're God's people. You're saved. You're strong. You're victorious. You are maturing in your faith. Stay there. Don't move. Go forward. Amen? Let's pray.